establishment of the meeting of the book of Revelation. Let's go deep in Revelation tonight, chapter 17. I'm going to have fun tonight. Hope you do. Tonight we're going to talk about the great whore and the beautiful bride. The great whore and the beautiful bride, which you're going to see in the latter days before Jesus comes back. And we're going to take today's headlines and lay them right beside the Bible and see what in the world is going on. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached once some meetings in America and a Folks came to him and said, your, your preaching is rubbing the cat the wrong way. And he said, I suggest you turn the cat around rather than me turn the Bible around. So <laughs> what I say tonight rubs you the wrong way. Let's don't turn the Bible around. Turn yourself around. Get in line with the Bible. This, this will light people up tonight as we talk about the great whore and the beautiful bride in the Bible. Let me tell you what you're going to see in the latter days right before Jesus comes back. You're going to see two women stand up in the earth. One is going to be a whore. The Bible calls her the great whore, the great harlot in NKG. The other is going to be a pure bride, and they're going to grow together for a while, and you're going to see these. I want you to look in the book of Revelation tonight. I love Revelation. It is wild. I don't know how in the world we got so mild-mannered in the church with this book in the Bible. But let's read out the book of Revelation. Chapter 17, look at what he says. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of judgment came and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. Now, old King James said, great horse. Some Bibles say that who sits on many waters. All right. So he said, there's a great whore, a great harlot. Where is she sitting at? Many waters. Anytime you see the seas, many waters in the book of Revelation, it's the mass of humanity, the sea of humanity. All right. Verse two, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. All right. Uh, let me define whore for you or harlot here. It's different from a prostitute. Uh, a prostitute can be one that just sells her body for money. A whore or harlot, according to this word, this is one who is married to a man. She's married to a man and she leaves this man and she gets into bed with another man for favors. That's a harlot or whore in the Bible. That's not the same as an out and out prostitute. All right, the word in there, great harlot, translated harlot or great whore, the Greek word, we have a word in our English language that comes out of that word. It's real close. You'll probably pick it up. The Greek word for harlot or whore is the word porn a, porn a. Tell me what Greek word we get out of that word. Porn. And then we, from that we get pornography, graphic porn. And uh, so this is talking about a great harlot, a great whore. She is married to another man, but she's in the bed with his enemy, with another lover. All right, so that's what a harlot is or a great whore is. And the Bible said in verse two, the kings of the earth are the ones she's committing fornication with. What does the word king mean? Ruler. These are the rulers of the earth. And you're going to see that these are, this is speaking of the great one world ruler, the great government, the amalgamated government that'll come in the earth before Jesus comes back. We're moving in that direction of the United Nations. And so this is a, this is, I'm going to tell you who it is. It's a church. This is the great universal global church and she's in bed with the world. And she's in bed with the ruling authorities of the world. She's committing fornication with the kings of the earth. Uh, and verse, the, verse two, the inhabitants of the earth are drunk with the wine of her fornication. So she's holding power over the people in the earth. You know, wine gets you under its control. So she's got control over the people on the earth. Uh, verse three, carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. I saw, now here it is, a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. All right, the beast, of course, is the Antichrist and his rule of government in the earth. Why does it say the woman, and this is the great harlot, why is she sitting on him? Because they're in union together. And you can see that this great global church will be yoked with the final uh, great Antichrist here. 
which is full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads, ten horns. So the seven head, ten horns, that identifies him as the Antichrist. Verse four, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. That's religious attire. She's dressed in religious robes. And the Bible said, adorned with gold, precious stones, pearls, and in her hand, a golden cup full of abominations, the filthiness of her fornication. On her forehead, a name is written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the marvel, martyrs of Jesus. I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. And this is where all the world's religions come together to form one religion. And they've got one great enemy standing in their way. And who is that? That is the true followers of Jesus Christ or the pure bride. And she's going to be drunk on the blood of those martyrs. If you know the book of Revelation, it's fixing to happen in Afghanistan right now. Let me give you a verse, one more verse. The angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast who carries her. And then he describes the beast. But let's cut through to the woman in verse 15. He said to me, verse 15, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, which tells you what? This covers the entire globe. This is a church that will come together across the entire globe, a universal church. And, uh, and she will, the beast and her will be in the bed together. You can see that in Revelation 13, which means that the beast, the ruling government will use this great whore to further its purposes in the earth. But something's going to happen. After he's used her, he's going to kick her to curb. Verse 16, the 10 horns which you saw on the beast will hate the harlot. Now, earlier she's riding on him. Hate the harlot, make her desolate, naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So this ruler is going to turn against this global church and destroy her. Guess why? Verse 17, for God put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose. He's behind the whole thing. So that's a picture. Uh, look with me in Revelation chapter 13. Here's another picture of her, Revelation chapter 13. You said, well, she don't sound like no church to me. <laughs> she is. Let me show you a picture. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 says this, I saw another beast. Now he mentions the first beast at the first part of 13, which is Antichrist. Another beast coming up out of the earth, arising out of humanity. He had two horns like a lamb. Appearance. What's the appearance? Like a lamb. Who's the lamb always in the book of Revelation? Jesus Christ. So this is a church that will have the appearance of followers of Christ. It will look like Christ. Let's read the rest of it. It'll have two horns like a lamb, but it will speak like a dragon. Guess who the dragon is? It's going to come presenting itself as the church of Jesus, but on the inside, it's the dragon. And Satan's going to be using this. Uh, and this is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Satan disguises himself as an angel of righteousness. Therefore, it is no mystery that his ministers come disguised as angels of Jesus Christ. This is the latter day church that's going to rise up in the earth. You can read more about that through Revelation. But here, let's go a little further with it. Turn it to Revelation chapter 19. She has her place in world history toward the end. Revelation chapter 19. I told you you're going to see two ladies. Two, excuse me. I didn't mean to say ladies. Two women stand up. Revelation 19, 1. This is fun. After these things, I heard a loud voice, a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory and honor, the power of, uh, that belong to the Lord our God. True and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot. So what's coming to this great harlot? What's going to happen to her? She's going to be judged. Judge the great harlot 
who corrupted the earth with her fornication. She's going to have great power over the earth. And this is a church that'll have power of the earth, but she'll be judged. Now let's switch gears. Look at me in Revelation 19, verse seven. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb, that's Jesus has come and his bride has made herself ready. To her, it was granted to be dressed in fine linen, clean and bright. The fine linen are the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. These are the true sayings of God. So what do you say? Book of Revelation, you're going to see a church global church rise up. It'll actually be serving the purposes of Satan. It'll be judged by God, but there's a beautiful bride going to be standing up in the earth at the same time. And it's the true church of Jesus Christ. Let's look at one more concerning this. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter five. So what we see in the earth are, is one church, but it's divided in two hearts. In Ephesians chapter five, this is the passage where Jesus talks about his bride. Now, but listen, the highest picture of Jesus and his people, his church, he calls them, it's a bride and a groom. We are the bride of Christ. And this is that great picture in Ephesians 5 where he compares us to a husband and a wife. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands love your wives like Christ loves the church. Sacrificed himself for her. Now, why did Jesus draw the church? Verse 26, that he might, see the word sanctify, just put the word make beautiful in there. Since we don't, how many of you use the word sanctification in your daily like business on the phone, stuff like that? Just sanctify means make beautiful. Religious people think sanctified. They think it means to become stiff and religious. Sanctify means set apart, make beautiful. What's Jesus trying to do to the church? Make her beautiful. Amen. He's wanting to make her beautiful. Here's how he does it. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her by, with the washing of water by the word by speaking to her. Jesus speaks to his bride to make her beautiful. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a beautiful bride or church, not having spot or wrinkle, she's going to be without blemish. That's the picture. So Jesus is working in the earth right now. He's calling out a people to love him. He's talking to them. He's speaking to them. He's beautifying them. And he's going to present them to himself as a beautiful bride one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hell's powers are working in the earth to raise up a church that has the uh, horns of a lamb. It appears like a lamb, but it's got the heart of a dragon. And you see these two women stand up in the earth in the latter days before the second coming of Jesus. Now, let me tell you something about these two. They're going to grow side by side. They will grow side by side until the day Jesus gets back. Look at me in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, it is not right to try to separate between these two right now. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 13. And this again is one of those prophecies of the very last days before he comes back. I love the prophecies of Jesus. Matthew 13, 24, the Bible says this. Matthew 13, 24. Another parable Jesus spoke saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, what God's doing is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares. Where? Among the wheat. And went away. When the grain sprouted and produced a crop, the tares showed up also. The servants of the owner came and said, Did you not sow good seed in your field? How does it have tares in it? He said, An enemy has done this. So, what do you got? You got somebody sowing something in the field, you got an enemy sowing something right beside it in the field. Verse 26 An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go gather them up or separate them? 
A lot of preachers trying to do that right now. It's not time yet. He said, no, if you try to separate the tares, you will uproot the wheat also. Watch this word. Let both grow together until the harvest. At the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, separate the tares, bind them to burn them, gather the wheat in my barn. All right, Jesus tells that parable. You get it? All right, he's going to explain it to you in verse 36. Jesus sent the multitude away, went in the house. His disciples came and said, explain the parable of the tares. He said, he who sows the good seed is who? The son of man or the son of God. Jesus has got his people in the earth and he's raising them up. The field is what? It's the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom of God. The tares are the sons of the wicked one. Got it? Now, a tear, I don't know, we're not from the Midwest. We don't understand this, but an Oklahomian would know a tear is a weed that looks just like wheat. And you sow your wheat. Sometimes these weeds start growing in there. They're called tares. And you can put them side by side in your hand. You can't tell the difference looking at them between a shock of wheat and a shock of tear. There's only one way to tell the difference. If you'll open the husk on the wheat, there's a seed in there. And that's what we make bread out of. Open the husk on the tear. There's nothing in there. It's the only way to tell the difference. You got to open the heart to find out what's in there. On the outside, they look just the same. The sons of God or the true bride of Christ and the sons of the devil look used. Now listen to me. These are not hell's angels and thugs and gangbangers. They don't look like church folks. These are people who sit side by side in church. These are churches who sit side by side on the corner. They look just alike, but there's a difference in the heart. And, and he said, uh, the, the, well, let me just, I don't know why I'm telling you. Let me read it. All right. Verse 39, the enemy is who sowed them is the devil. He said, I don't believe that. You need to start believing what Jesus says. I, I thought that the children of the devil would have horns and pitchforks and, you know, listen to Santana. And... <laughs> who sowed this church that looks just like the children of God? the enemy. He's got his church in the earth. All right. Let's read a little further. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. Verse 39. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. As the tares are gathered and burned, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man is going to send out his angels. They'll gather all things out of his kingdom that offend and practice lawlessness. Cast them into the furnace of fire. They'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him believe what I'm saying. Now, I want you to notice this. A lot of people want to do some separating. Now, let's look back in verse. Here's the key verse, verse 30. Let both grow together, side by side. The beautiful bride and the, the great whore are going to be side by side, and you won't be able to tell the difference. And Jesus said, let them grow side by side. Let them grow together until, by the way, both need to grow. Both are going to grow. The, this whore church is going to be growing in the earth. It's growing at warp speed today, but let me make an announcement. So is the beautiful bride. More people got saved last week than any week in the history of this world. Amen. Not in America, but around the world, people are being drawn to Jesus. Because what did he say? He said, in the latter days, there'll be a great whore church. Darkness will be poured out. He also said, in the latter days, I will pour out my spirit. Amen. And sons and daughters will prophesy and they will call on the name of the Lord. Amen. Everybody talks about what the devil's doing today. The son of God has ramped it up today right. around the earth. But both are going to do what? They're going to grow. Both grow. They're going to grow together. Verse 30, <clears throat> until the harvest, at the time of the harvest, 
I will be the one to separate them. And one's going to the fire and one's going home with me. All right, this is the picture of the great whore as the Bible calls it in Revelation and the beautiful bride. Brother Brian, can I ask a simple question? How am I supposed to know the difference? That's a good question considering what the Bible says, isn't it? Let me shock you with something here. Not even the whore knows that she's a whore. She don't even know it. She is perfectly convinced that she's a child of the living God. Let me show you that in the Sermon on the Mount. Just a few pages back, Matthew chapter 7. The great whore has no idea. She thinks she's a faithful bride. I want to prove that to you in Scripture. In the Sermon on the Mount, that great sermon Jesus preached in Matthew 7, Jesus said this about the end of the age. Now, this is the last day at judgment. Matthew 7, verse 21. See if you've ever heard this before. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, or the Greek would read like this. Not everyone who says to Jesus, you are my Lord. Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's that say right there? People who think that they're following Jesus are not going to heaven. Not everybody that says he's my Lord is going to heaven. All right. But he who does the will of my father. What's the first word in verse 22? A few weirdos out in Oregon. Many people will say to Jesus on the day of judgment, Lord, did we not preach, cast out demons? Have we not done many wonderful things in your name? And he will say to them, I never knew you. All right, the Bible said not everybody that claims to be a Christian is mine. And on the final day, there will be many people who will be shocked. That's why they'll say, Lord, I was a preacher. I cast out demons. We did wonderful things. But he will say, but I never knew you. You never knew me. Now, here's the, here's the key people missing this passage. It's the last sentence. And it says this, verse 23. Uh, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who what? Practice lawlessness. You went to church. You claimed to be a Christian. You preached the Bible. But you would not line up with my word. You had a rebel heart about you. And there were some areas you rejected my word. And, and can you see in Matthew 7, these verses right here, the whore doesn't even know she's a whore. She thinks she's following Jesus completely, but pretty obvious that it's not if that's what Jesus said in the latter days. Now there's a defining issue in this whole thing. So well, you can't say who's this and that. The Bible can. What's the defining issue over this whole thing? Let me tell you something. This is big stuff right here. You know why? What would it profit a man to gain the whole world? to lose his soul. What would it profit a preacher to preach the gospel and die and go to hell? What's the key issue? What is the defining issue? It is the word of God. It's always the word of God. And what does it say? All right, let's see what he says to you and me about this. Let's turn to Mark chapter eight. This is the verse that knocks a lot of American churches right out of the saddle. Mark chapter eight. Don't pull two or three verses out and build you a faith the whole of thy word is truth. You got, this is not the K&W Bible. You can't go straight to the dessert section. You've got to eat the broccoli too. You've got to take the whole word of God and see what it says. Mark chapter eight. Why don't you look what the Bible says? Verse, just one verse, Mark eight thirty-eight. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this sexually immoral generation of him, the son of man will be ashamed if he comes or to say when he comes, when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. What did Jesus say? 
You can't separate me from my words. You can't say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like that part of the Bible. If you're ashamed of me and my words in front of who? Your Sunday school class. This sexually filthy generation. When I get back, I won't know you either. Uh, listen, this is hard. Who said that right there? Jesus. The issue is, are we going to line up with the word of God? Not, oh, how I love Jesus. You've got to embrace his words. You can't separate Jesus from his words, which is what the American churches tend to do today. Yeah. And that is the harlot church. That's why she's called a harlot because she's gotten in bed with another lover besides Jesus. All right, so the Bible is very clear that the word of God is the issue. Let me clarify this a little further. Let's see what he says about this. Second Timothy 4 is a prophecy. I've seen this come to pass in my lifetime. I've seen this completely change in my lifetime in the earth. If preachers had said what they're saying today in 1975 when I got saved, they would have been off the air next week. Their credentials would have been jerked immediately. Now they're getting promoted instead of fired. Second Timothy chapter four, this is the defining issue. This is a word of prophecy concerning the future. Second right, Timothy four, verse one says this, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. Verse two, preach what? Preach these sloppy, syrupy, wet, kiss every slobbery kisses to everybody, group hug, kumbaya. Preach the word of God. Tell them what the Bible says. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Verse three says this, for the time will come. In my Bible, I've written has come. I just wrote, the word. I, didn't, I didn't scratch out will. I'm not messing with scripture. But over the top of will, I wrote has because he said he'd come and it's here. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. What's sound doctrine? Doctrine is just the word teaching. They will not listen to the Bible. Sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, the Greek word is lusts. If what this Bible says goes against what I lust for, I'm not going to change the suit to Bible. I'll change the Bible to suit me. But according to their own desires or lusts, they will hire for themselves teachers, preachers, turn their ears from the truth and listen to fables. I don't like what that preacher says. I'll go find me a preacher tell me what I want to hear. That's exactly what it said would happen. That if you preach the truth, it will offend people because you got on their particular sin or whatever it was. And so what we'll do is we'll just, we'll change. Listen to me. The plan was to change me to line up with God's word. That's why Jesus said, follow me. Jesus didn't say, you mind if I follow you? <laughs> Jesus said, follow me. It was to change me to line up with his word. It was not to change his word to line up with me. Right. He God, I'm not. Yeah. We have to settle that issue. They'll hire for themselves teachers having itching ears, turn away from the truth and listen to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. Why do you say to endure afflictions if you preach the word? Not everybody appreciates the word. Now, I've never met anybody that wanted to go to hell. I've never met anybody that didn't want to go to heaven. I met a bunch of folks that didn't like the one road that'll get you there. And this is it right here. And this is the great prophecy. It always stems around the word. Look across the page at chapter three, verse 13. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Doing what? deceiving and being deceived. Any preacher stands up and tells you the Bible's not true. You don't have to go back. God understands he's a deceiver. And the land's full of them today. As the Bible said it would be, that's the great whore church or great whore preachers. 
Verse 14, you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. From childhood, you've known the holy scriptures that make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Hang on, hang on a minute. My society doesn't like that. Let me take my pen and rewrite that. Verse 15, from childhood, you've known whatever anybody says, which will make you wise for salvation. That's through any way you want to get there. This Bible says that the Holy Scriptures teach you that salvation is through Jesus Christ. Amen. You can see it clear right there. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable that you might be thoroughly equipped. It always goes down to, back to the Bible. I want to ask you a personal question see if you know the answer. What was Satan's first act in the earth? You'd have to go back to the first time he showed up in the book of Genesis. It was Genesis 3. What was his first act? Attack God's Word put a question mark over God's word. I'll just quote it to you. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And he came to the woman and he said, did God say? I maybe think he knew God had said. You said, it sounds to me like he's a liar. He said, has God said, did God say you can't do that? She said, and she quoted it verbatim. She said, that's exactly what he said. And he said to her, God's line. She said, if I eat it, I will die. He said to her, you will not die. And he put a question mark over God's word in the mind of the woman. Matter of fact, he said, not only will you not die, your life will be better off if you don't let God tell you how to live. And she fell for it. And how has that done us? And she ate that apple. Some folks would say she ate us out of house and home. Can I get a witness? She learned things. Of course, her husband came right along. Do you know Adam wasn't deceived? He knew what was happening. He just wanted to stick with her. Bad decision, Doc. He's always attacking. It's always to attack God's word. All right, let's have some fun. Could this be happening today? Could this be happening in the earth today? Let me show you how to spot it today. See if you've ever heard these words right here, these buzzwords about the great whore. Inclusive. Tolerance. You ever heard those words? When you hear those words, put your antennas up. She's speaking. That's the words of the great global church. Because the great global church has one goal. Bring all religions into one big mishmash of religion. Nobody has to believe anything. As long as we all come together in one great big, that's her right there. Let me give you some examples. Harvard University. The oldest university in our nation. It's also the most prestigious. Harvard's turned out more U.S. presidents more Nobel Prize winners, more Pulitzer Prize winners. Believe it or not, they've turned out more Olympic gold medal winners. It is the premier university in our nation. And uh, you know, the greatest nation, I mean, if you got the cash to go there, God bless you. Yesterday, I think this is Wednesday, I mean, it's Tuesday. Tuesday's headlines were the news. Harvard University hires atheist as head pastor for its students. Harvard University hires atheist as head pastor for its students. Headlines. Greg Epstein's the guy's name. He was hired. Four other chaplains formed a panel, and on that cha on that, those chaplains, these are other, you know, a chaplain is the pastor for the students. Four chaplains. One was a Lutheran. Uh, one was an Evangelical. One was a Baha'i, which is Eastern Insanity, and uh, then the fourth was a Christian Scientist. You ever heard of Christian Science? Who's who promotes Christian Science? Tom Cruise. That's Tom Cruise's big thing. He pushes. Well, Christian Scientist. Christian Science. In case you ever heard, never heard of. It's sort of like grape nut cereal. Anybody remember grape nut cereal? You'll never remember that. They had a cereal called grape nuts. Well, the thing about it was they won't no grapes and they won't no nuts in it. 
So why do you call it grape nuts? Why well, is Christian science? It's not Christian. There's no science in it. Christian science is just metaphysics, which is your mind controls the universe with a religious skirt on it. Anyway, they put all this crowd came together and they were so proud that they'd hired uh, Brother Epstein, whatever they call him, to do this. He just wrote a book called Good Without God. You don't need God to be good. This is the head pastor over our premier university. And uh, the Lutheran lady who was in charge of things, she said, we're so thankful this is a great hire. His goal, let me quote, to draw all religions and all streams into one great world religion. That's your new pastor at the premier university in our land. When, anytime you hear this tolerance, uh, inclusive, let me give you a little closer to home. I'm not going to name the university, but it's in this county, but I'm not going to name it. <laughs> I have a pastor friend. I love him dearly. And he is the chaplain for this university's football team. You'll never figure out who the school is or who he is. He's the chaplain for this university's football team. And the coach asked him to come be the chaplain. Well, he, he prays with the guys and has devotionals with them. And that's what chaplains do. They chapel. That's why they're called chaplains. And uh, the head chaplain at this university called them in for a meeting, said she was concerned about some things, called them in and she said, now, what religion are you? She asked my pastor, what religion? And he said, I don't know about religion. She said, but I love Jesus and I preach Jesus. She said, oh, that's a problem. She said, that's a problem. She said, so you actually like have devotions and you talk about Jesus in front of these students. He said, that's what preachers do, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> she said, that's going to be a problem. We can't have that. He said, my name, she said, I, do you not understand that this school is an inclusive school and we want to be inclusive? He said, ma'am, listen to me. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, he said, ma'am, how more inclusive can you get than whosoever? She said that we can't have this. She said, I cannot have somebody putting Jesus above any other, other God out there. We're going to be inclusive. About that time, the football coach spoke up. He said, lady, what you do up there on that hill and that building is your business. What goes on on this football field is my business. You stay up there. I'll stay down here. He said, come on, preacher. This meeting's over. That's my kind of football coach right there. <laughs> They're one. That is all over the land right now. Yeah. Do not say that Jesus, don't put Jesus above anybody else. He is Lord. Amen. All right. That's, that seems to be the buzz issue and the hot issue right now. Now, dear ones, listen to them. Fix and teach you something from the Bible. You see if you don't see this happen. There are going to be two great dividing issues in the earth in the latter days. And this is going to cause anger, angst, the mark of the beast to be seen here. This is going to separate families. It's going to divide. It's already dividing churches. The Methodist church is split right down the middle over it. There are going to be two great dividing issues in the latter days between the great whore church and the beautiful bride. I want you to look. I want you to read them from scripture. I don't you just hear me. Look in the book of Jude. Jude is a little book right in front of the book of Revelation. It's only one chapter. But Jude is the premier book for the last day right before the coming of Jesus. All right, I want you to find, you could find this without me showing you, what are the two divisive dividing issues that will be in the earth in all affairs. And there was, listen, this is not just in churches. Remember, this great harlot rides the beast. This is in government. This is in education. This, the entertainment industry is pushing this thing on a fast track right now. See, if you see this in the book of Jude, 
Beloved, verse, let's read verse three. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I find it necessary. Now this is written for folks living at the end, by the way. You can look at the context. To exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was one time for all delivered to the saints. What did he tell you? I think it's very important that you learn to contend. What's the word contend mean? Oppose, battle, war. What are we to war for? The original faith was delivered once for all times. My friends in the Presbyterian church have uh, abandoned certain things. And one of the he kings, I'll just call him the he king of the Presbyterian church. And he said, we can't really go by the Bible anymore. He said this. Bump. He said this. Since the Bible was written, God has learned a lot. (laughs) And God has grown. And we don't want to be stuck back where we were and where he used to be. I heard and I said, did he just say that? (laughs) If I'm lying, I'm dying. Let me tell you something. Contend for the faith that was once delivered for all time to the saints. What does contend mean? Stand up for it. All right, now here's the reason. Here's the reason. It's in verse four. For certain men have crept in unnoticed. You know what a creep, you ever heard anybody called a creep? Creep is somebody who crept in. Men have crept in unnoticed. Crept in what? Not the bars, not the news media. A little bit later on it says your feasts. They've crept in your churches. People have crept into your churches and they do two things. Who were long ago marked out for damnation. Ungodly men who do two things. They turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus. What's the two things these preachers that have crept in do? They turn grace into license or lewdness and they deny the only Lord Jesus. They put a question mark over the exclusivity of Jesus. All right, remember these two things that the Bible says will happen. And what do he say for me and you to do? Contend for these things. Contend for this faith. Don't give in to this stuff. All right, let me uh, take just a minute on that. There are two great dividing, these are the dividing issues of our culture right now. This is what you see in the news. This is what you see arguing about on TV. This is what you see battling in the university. Which a battle for the universities is about over. Darkness has won the universities. And this is the battle in the churches right now. And of course, some of them have fallen also. Two issues, and I'm going to make them, I'm going to settle this issue from the Bible. What you do with it is your business. But from now on, you're going to know what this book says about both those issues. Number one, human sexuality. Uh, Human sexuality, the Bible addresses human sexuality. And the Bible is very clear about human sexuality. And let's just turn and look at it. Rather than me quote it, I want you to see it. Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, the Bible is very clear about this. I'm going to lay it on the line to you, and you can take the line wherever you want to with it. But this line never changes. You say, you old school, ain't you? I've, I've, somebody said to me, you're still living in 1950. No, I'm living in 33 AD, Doc. I'll go back further than that. I'm going back to this book's where I'm going back. All right, Genesis chapter two, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. Can I get a witness? Well, a few of you will. All right. I will make a help me comparable to him. Who made man? Who made a help me for man? 
Who came up with the idea of marriage? You got it, Doc. Verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. All right, in case you're wondering, Mark chapter 10, verse six through eight, ministers came to Jesus and said, we want to leave our wives because they're getting old and saggy and we want new wives. Look it up. Mark chapter 10 said, we, we got old wives. They're old wives like us. We want young wives. We want to leave them and find a new wife. Is that okay? Jesus said, no, you don't do that. And they said, then why did Moses let us do it? He said, Moses let you do that because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not supposed to be that way from the beginning. And Jesus quoted Matthew, excuse me, Genesis, what we just read, 124. And Jesus said this, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. The two shall become one. What God has joined together, let not man separate. All right, I'm going to make this real complicated so you can get it. Here's God's period forever plan for human sexuality. One man for one woman for one lifetime. The discussion is over forever. End of discussion. You say, but we love each other. He don't care, neither do I. <laughs> Dear ones, Jesus, listen, I don't care if you feed the hungry. I don't care if you pack a meal. Depart from me, you who practice unrighteousness. You will not let me call the shots in your life. All right, human sexuality is defined very clearly by scripture. It is within marriage. It is for a man and a woman. End of discussion. And this is one of the great battles that we're going through right now. There's no wiggle room in scripture. There's no, it's not in there. I'm sorry, Doc. Now, do people make mistakes? Can they find mercy? Absolutely. If you couldn't find mercy with mistakes in that arena, I wouldn't be standing here. Thank God for mercy. But anyways, mercy comes to those who repent, not those who do Catholic confession and go back out and know I'm going out Friday and I'm going to do it again. That's not repentance. Repentance means turn. Not only the wiggle room. Now listen, also this, we're in Genesis. The created design and gender has become the flare-up issue in this nation. I'm going to settle this thing. We're going to let God settle it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible said this. Genesis 1, 26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion. Verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Isaiah 45, 9. Why would you strive with your maker? Now, I'm going to settle this thing right now. God created people male and female. Now listen, what you want to call yourself is none of my bit. You can call yourself a French poodle. It doesn't matter to me. I love you. Mary Volkswagen for all I care. But listen to me. You're not going to ram it down my throat and I'm not going to bow down. Now the whore, the great whore will jump into bed with you in a heartbeat over this. The great whore is now promoting this stuff that's going on in the culture. And it'll happen right here. I'm going to settle the issue. We've got gender insanity in this nation right now. Can I, would you like for me to help you? Here it is. When a baby is born, look up between its legs. If there's a Peter there, that's a boy. If it's not, that's a girl. The discussion is over. This is not hard. Our kids are going to be confused as a termite and a yo-yo by the time they get done with high school. Anything we can do to put our fist in the face of our creator and contend with our maker. I love you. I got a tender heart toward people. Last Wednesday night, a fellow was here. He's the top 
Christian minister on gender dysfunction in the nation will hire. And he's written books, paper gender, written a number of books. If there's a debate in a university, he's there. And he is a wonderful man. He was a, a man who was an executive with Honda Motors and some craziness happened to him. It went back to his grandmother's insanity. He wanted to become a woman. He transitioned to a woman. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen a lot of them have done it. Walt was a good looking woman. I've seen his pictures. And then he met Jesus and he had to undo what was, listen, you cannot change things by sawing stuff. And now he cares, listen, and it's not about being unkind to people either. I care about people. But the answer to your problems is not change surgery. The answer is a new heart. Get back to your creator. Now, what I just said right there will light culture up. I don't have to write it. I just have to believe it and say it. And this is the great divide. This is the great issue in our land. All right. One of the books that's required reading in colleges, it's usually the freshman required reading. It's called Brave New Worlds. Anybody heard of Brave New World? Written by a guy named Aldous Huxley. And it's just... Basically, it says this. The earth would be better if we got rid of God and all the folks who believe in him. That's Brave New World. And it's this deep, sophisticated thing. Aldous Huxley, right before he died, finally confessed and told the truth. Eighty-some years old, he finally said, the bottom line is, I don't know whether there's a God or not, but I know this. I wanted to have sex with whoever I wanted to have it with, whenever I wanted to. And if there's a God, he was getting in my way. So I decided to write Brave New World and invent this new thing and explain it all away. Bottom line was, if there was a God, I didn't want to listen to him. And that's what our college freshmen are required to read coming into schools today. There was the, you say, can't, you, can't, can't you just get along and just love everybody? So you one of them, huh? Contend for the faith once delivered to all the saints. He who was ashamed of me and my words. When I come back, I won't know you. Then we're going to make up our minds on this thing. So one is the uh, sexuality. The other one is the exclusivity of Jesus or tolerance and all this stuff. Now Jude chapter four said this. Let me quote it again. <clears throat> and this is the, this is lights people up. But here it is. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse six. I am the way, right. the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the father unless they come through me. First Timothy chapter two, verse five says this, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus said in John 8, 24, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, dear ones, you can't get any more exclusive than that. I'm going to be exclusive because I serve an exclusive savior. And our culture says today, when you speak like that, you are an intolerant bigot. No, I am a preacher of the gospel. Amen. Let me tell you who loves you. Those who tell you anything you want to hear to keep you happy in this life, they are not the ones who love you. Those who tell you the truth so you can have eternal life, that's who loves you right there. And this is the great dividing issue. This, and of course, what's the two things the great whore church is pushing today? Many streams headed to one place. No matter what path you choose, it'll get you there. It will not. And it's the great deception that's in our land right now. All right. Now the Bible says this. Are we supposed to give in to be accepted on these issues or contend for the faith? You've got to make a decision. I'm going to tell you something. The true bride of Jesus Christ will preach the word Amen. and it'll contend for the faith and she will have one lover and his name is Jesus and she don't need other lovers. It's not going to happen. Now, right, let me say this to you because your kids are dealing with this right now. 
schools are going to deal with it. This is the coming issue in our day because this is prophecy. It's coming. There's two things we need to decide when contending and we need to handle these things carefully. There's two great errors. And I want to help you with these so you can help your children with them. Number one, one error is to deny the word of God to be accepted by your culture. You can't turn your back on the word to be accepted by this society. I want you to look with me in John chapter 12 at what the Bible says about, can't we just all get along? Well, let's ask Jesus about that. In John chapter 12, in John 12, and this is exactly what's happened. This is the, one of the craziest things I've ever seen is that churches have watered down the word of God to get a crowd in. And the very ones that did it are dying. Guess why? It's not because that people don't want to hear the truth. Answers in Revelation chapter three, where he said to the church at uh, Philadelphia, he said, behold, I hold the key. I'm the one that opens and nobody shuts and I shut and nobody opens. I've set before you an open door because you have honored my word. And churches that are dishonoring his word, they're dying like flies today. This, this is foolishness to think that we could water down the word of God, tell people what they want to hear, and that way we can get them in our church. Those churches are dying. They're dying like last year's pumpkin seed. What does the one thing that growing churches have in common? They preach the word. People, listen, people want to hear the truth of God's word in their heart. Listen, it may rub me wrong, but I know that's the truth. When I was a hell raiser and living like the pure devil, I knew what I was and I knew what that preacher said when I went and I said, that man's telling the truth. I just don't want to believe it. And I don't want to follow it. It's what it was. All right, John chapter 12. Here's where we find what's going on. Verse 42, John 12, 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, this was in Jesus' day, ministers, many believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, and that was the false church, they did not confessing lest they'd be kicked out of the synagogue. You got it? They believed in Jesus, but they didn't want to stand up for him because it'd get him in trouble with people. What's the next verse say? They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Listen to me. If you're going to be accepted by somebody, you'd be accepted by the one who holds your breath in his hand. Live for the praise of God. Do not live for what people got. Listen, a good name is to be chosen. I want people to like me. I try to get along best I can. But when you tell me as a government, as a religious organization or anybody else, you got to choose us over him, we done. And you got to make up your mind. I hope you like me. I really don't try to tear things up on purpose. Let me tell you something. I got to stand in front of him one of these days. And I've got to give an account for what I tell people. And it better line up with this word because he is not your goofy grandpa in the sky who'll wink at you. He is the Lord God Almighty. And we want to make sure that we choose to be accepted by him rather than that. Let me share with you some verses that never get shared. First John 2, 15. Love not the culture, the world, or the things in the world. If any man loves the way of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't have both, dear ones. You can't bow down to this culture or the whole church and have the love of the Father in you. James chapter four, verse four. You adulterers and adulteresses know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And if you choose to be a friend of your society, you've made yourself the enemy of God. Put them two together. There was just, listen, it's impossible. Now, it did not say not to love sinners. I love sinners. Jesus was a man who lived amongst sinners and loved them and enjoyed them, but the water wasn't getting in the boat. 
There's nothing wrong. The boat was made to be in the water. The problem comes when the water gets in the boat. I was made to be among sinners. That's not a problem. The problem is when what they got gets inside of me. That's the difference right there. I've made up my mind. Jesus is Lord. Period. And listen, I smile about it. I'm not mad. I smile about it. I don't want to fight nobody. But I'm going to stand with this truth. Now, you ever heard of the mark of the beast? It's in the earth today. People say, you think, when's the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast has been here. It's here today. Let me give you some live examples. Let's turn to look at it first. Turn with me to Revelation 13, where the Bible describes the mark of the beast. Now, remember, the book of Revelation is a revelation of something that's going to come. And the mark of the beast is given, of course, by the beast. And the Bible also says that this great whore church will command the multitudes to receive the mark of the beast. Bow down and take it. Let's read the mark of the beast. Revelation chapter 13, verse 16 says this. He, and this is talking about the beast, and this is the, let me give you a little background on this beast. We should do this one night. Out of the European Union will rise a man. The world is going to get in such chaos as it's headed toward now. Our world's spinning out of control, in case you hadn't noticed. It's going to get worse. And all of a sudden, a man is going to rise up out of the European Union. He's called the Antichrist. And he's going to be the most gifted man that ever lived in appearance. And he's going to rise up and say, our problems, he's not coming from the U.S., he's coming from Europe. Our problems are so great, we can't solve them. We got to come together and every government on this planet, every nation's got to vow their allegiance. And we're going to have to have one world system and we've got to have one leader that can lead us out of this mess. And he's going to be the man. That's the Antichrist, his number 666. And that is the man right there. And he will do good for a while. Satan always gives you what you want for a little bit. But after three and a half years, he's going to reveal who he is. And there's going to be hell on earth like you've never seen. It's called the tribulation period. But he's going to rise out of the European Union. He's probably alive today. All right. But there's, here's, a, here's what's coming. This is a prefix. Revelation 3.16. He causes all people, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads and that no one may what buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. And of course, his number 666, which just means humanity. You're going to have to receive a mark. And if you don't receive that mark, you're going to get kicked out of the economy. They're going to cut you off financially. Now, many people believe it's a literal mark on your forehand. I'm on your hand or on your forehead. Some people believe it's a computer chip. I get these crazy Christian news services. You know, the Swiss came up with a chip going under people's hands and that's the mark of the beast. I don't think it's a literal mark. I don't think you can see it. That may be, we can, we can agree to disagree if you and me disagree. We cannot agree on the Lordship, disagree on the Lordship of Jesus. There's one Lord. But I believe the mark of the beast is in your forehead and in your hand. It's a way of thinking. It's the, your hand is your practices. And this beast is going to tape of you think like I tell you to think and you act like I tell you to act or I'll cut you out of the economy. And you're going to be punished economically if you don't bow down and think like I tell you to think. And you don't do what I tell you to do. The mark of the beast is here today. It's in the earth today. There's no one set time. It's just, it's here today. And here's what the mark of the beast is. You better go along if you want to get along in this society. In this culture, you better go along to get along. And uh, I hope I don't light some up yet, but let me give you some examples. We have a problem called COVID in the nation right now. And uh, 
COVID is a, it's a roaring problem. It's, it's straight from hell. It's not the, it's just the work of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. And they came up with a vaccine for it. And I took the vaccine because I like living. And I think the vaccine is a good idea. But I took it because I wanted to. I didn't take it because somebody forced me to. And I didn't take it because I was going to lose my job. Let me tell you something. When you tell people, when the government tells people, you'll take this vaccine or you'll lose your job, that's the mark of the beast. That's it right there. It's not the vaccine. It is the government saying, you'll do what I tell you to do or you won't be able to buy or sell. I'm going to give you an example. I have a friend. His, his dad was my dearest friend, my mentor, Dr. J.O. Williams. He has a son named Dr. Williams. And Dr. Williams was the head over the emergency room at our hospital here. And he is a wonderful guy. I love Dr. Williams. And uh, he, he doesn't believe that everybody should be forced to take the vaccine. So he wrote a letter to the powers that be and said, I don't think you ought to be able to force the nurses to do that. He came to work the next day. His credentials had been revoked and his computer had been shut down. And he was fired because he would not line up with their way of thinking. Well, he said, praise God. And he, he is a great doctor. He said, I'll just go to the city. So he took a job with the city of Burlington to become the doctor for the city of Burlington, our town here. And they caught wind up and they sent him a note, don't even show up on the first day you're fired. That's pretty bad to get fired before you even go to work, isn't it? I think his first day was a day, if I'm not mistaken. They told him, don't even bother coming there. That's the mark of the beast. You will accept our way of thinking and you'll bow down or we'll hurt you economically. I saw this, matter of fact, where the news yesterday, there was a school teacher. He was a PE teacher in Virginia and uh, he's not mean. He's just a gracious guy. But uh, they went through diversity training. Guess where diversity training comes from? Guess what it really is? Bow down. He went through diversity training and they told him, you cannot call a boy a boy in the school anymore. Oh. And he said, pardon me. <laughs> He's about as country as I am. Pardon me. You, if you call a boy a boy, you're going to be in trouble. And if he, you got to call him her or it or thing or aardvark, whatever they want to be called. <laughs> Don't call a boy a boy anymore. And this is called diversity training. He went online and expressed his opinion in a gracious way. He said, this is insanity that we've reached a place where I can't, and he did not say it in school. This is just his private opinion. Well, the school system in Virginia fired him. Wow. Yes. Yesterday, the Supreme Court reinstated him and said, what has happened in this nation that you don't have the freedom to speak your own speech anymore? That's the mark of the beast. You'll say it like, you'll think like we tell you to think, you'll act like we tell you to act, or we'll hurt you economically. You will see this coming big time. This is the great whore that's gonna be pressing the issue over and over. But let me tell you something. What does the Bible say? Bow down. Contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. I don't have to be comfortable. I have to be holy. I'm going to line up with Jesus before it's all said and done. All right, let me quit by saying this. Um, so we need to contend. You, you got to make up your mind. Dear ones, I have decided to follow Jesus. We need to start singing this song again. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The only thing you, we've reached a wonderful place in this nation. This straddling the fence is coming to an end. I want to make an announcement from here on out. The only thing you're going to get straddling the fence is a sore crotch. Them days are over and you need to get off of it. And you're going to have to either side with the son of God or the man of sin. Who are you going to line up with? You're going to be with the bride or you're going to be with the whore. Which one are you going to line up with? But now let me flip and listen to me carefully. 
The second great problem is when we contend with the wrong spirit about us. You can contend without being contentious and hateful. And we need to contend for the faith, but we need to do it with a smile and we don't need to be hateful about it. Because the Bible teaches that there is a boldness with humility, not arrogance. Now, don't you look with me at that in the scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2, where we're told how to deal with people when they want to fight and argue with us. And you're going to need this. You might as well hang on to it. 2 Timothy talks about having to contend. 2 Timothy 2. There have been a time where people just, I mean, they heard something about me and they came and the fangs were out. And they're going to light me up. And by the time I got done with them, they still didn't think like I thought, but they liked me and we were smiling at each other. Listen to me. We have got to learn to say the right thing the right way, like Jesus did. This is a great problem today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 says this. Avoid foolish and ignorant arguments, knowing they generate strife. Don't argue for the sake of an argument. Stay out of these discussions where they're heated and foolish. All right. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be what? Gentle, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. What's the spirit you and I talk to people in? Gentleness, patience, and humility. Don't light them up. Don't call fire down on them. Now listen, you can be bold and not be hateful. You can be confident and stand for the word and not be ugly. I think as much damage is being done by people who speak the truth like the devil would talk as those who won't stand for the truth. Listen, I've won a many a person and won many a discussion with people, not because of what I said, but because of the way you say it. Listen, a harsh answer stirs up wrath. When your kid comes home and says, you know, I've been to college and I've learned that you're dumb and my professor's right. You idiot. That's not the way to start. That's not the way to start. Say, sweetheart, talk to me. Tell me what you think. Listen to me. Quit blasting people and ask them, where's that in the Bible? Where's that in the Bible? Can you find that in the Bible? I've had, uh, we're losing the argument, not because we got the wrong thing to say, we're saying it the wrong way. Sometime back, a man in our church brought a woman. He, was down, said this, he's, he said, he's going to see you right now. You've got to see him. He came in and had this lady. I'd never seen her before. She was about 40 years old. And he said, and he said I brought her for you to talk to her. I said, thank you. <laughs> what are we going to talk about? And she said, he's been telling me about God. And I want to follow God. She said, he tells me that if I follow God, I've got to change my sexuality. And she said, are you telling me homosexuality is wrong? She said, it's just like that point to me. Mm. Now, you know, I could have said, dang right. <laughs> no. I just got real quiet. And I said to her, let me ask you a question. Are you really happy? I just melted the whole deal. Yeah. She sat there quiet. All of a sudden, tears started running down her face. She said, no. I said, sexuality is not the issue here. Your heart in Jesus is the issue. And she got saved she, she was changed, began to follow Jesus. It wasn't the truth. It was the truth spoken in love. Right. Ephesians 5 says, speak the truth. What's the rest of it say? Speak the truth in love. And we've got to learn to talk to people the right way. That we're caught up right now in wanting to argue and fight and debate. Somebody got to turn the temperature down. Yep. He don't need your temperature to make his truth fly. Yep. 
Listen, listen to this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. It's not my arguing. It's the gospel that has power. And let me, let me remind you to do this. Smile while you're talking to people. You fool. And you wonder why they won't come back to your church. Are you trying to win an argument or help people? We're not here to win arguments. We're here to help people. So truth does. It sets people free. And 2 Timothy 2, 23 is very clear. Let's read verse 25. In humility, correcting those in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so they can know the truth. Don't you understand? God's got to help people know truth. If he don't touch their hearts, they're not going to listen to what you're saying. Let me give you one of the greatest examples by one of the, the greatest Christian missionaries that ever lived named Paul the Apostle. He went to a place called Mars Hill to preach. Mars Hill would be the Oxford or the Harvard of that day. It was the place where all the scholars gathered and he stood up and he preached. And he preached the gospel of Jesus and he preached the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And they said, he's an idiot. They called him a seed picker. What's this seed picker got? A rag picker. What's he got to say? And they rebuked him and he left and he didn't do so good there. But the spirit of God spoke to him and said, now listen, and he sent him to a riverside where there was a woman who sold expensive cloth. This is what the Bible said in Acts 16, 14. And God opened her heart to hear the things spoken by Paul. She received Jesus. I think she became the pastor of the first, well, I can't say this if you're Baptist. She, and I think the Philippian church started in her home. Well, so what do we learn right there? It ain't about how smart you are. It's about whether God gives people a chance to hear it. And you can't force it into them by being firm. Let me tell you something. A soft answer turns away wrath. But you can speak the truth softly. And that's why the Bible teaches, no, let's read a little further. Verse 26, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil had been taken captive by him to do his will. Your enemy is not the teacher. Your enemy is not the college professor. Your enemy is not the backwards preacher. Who is our enemy in that verse? Dear ones, we're trying to rescue people, not win an argument or show that we know some. The way you say it's just as important as what you say when you're talking to people. Let me admonish you to do something. Quit striving, quit arguing, quit fussing. Jesus is very clear. When you go into a house, speak. If your peace rests, stay there. If they don't bring peace in that house, wipe the dust off your feet and go on. Don't be contentious. Jesus said this in Matthew do not cast your pearls in front of swine because they'll trample on your pearls and then they'll run over you. You know what it means, pearls in front of swine. Don't put what's valuable in front of people that don't appreciate it. Make sure Jesus is speaking in the thing. This is very clear in the, in the Bible. And then when the Bible said that his preachers, his disciples want to straighten dumb preachers out, Jesus said, let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And guess what happens when blind leaders lead blind people? Where's my nation headed? For the ditch. Now listen, we're going to honor him in what we do and the way we handle people. Our goal is to help people. All right, let me, uh, here's what we're going to do. Now me and you as believers, I believe the Bible is the word of God. I'm sticking with it. So brother, what do I do? All right, listen to me carefully. Help the humble. All right, we're going to teach these things. And here's what we're going to do here. We're going to teach these things to our children. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. Let my words be in your heart and teach these things to your children that they might prosper and do well. We're going to teach our children the truth of God's word. Let's know something. Your teacher's an idiot. Go tell her your daddy said she's an idiot. Come on, really? 
I used to have to tell my children, puke back what they want on that test, but you know the truth. Let me tell you something. An 18-year-old is no match for a PhD. You be careful where you send your kids to school at. We need to be more careful about where we ship our kids off to. You're responsible for protecting children. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus reserved his greatest judgment for people who screw with children and twist their faith. Jesus said this, better to have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea than to hinder the faith of a little one, a young person that believes in me. College professor is going to be on the hit list when Jesus gets back. But my concern is to teach these things to our children. We're going to do it at home. We're going to do it in our school. That's why we started school. And we're going to do it in this church. We're not just going to play with Play-Doh and tell them that Jonathan and David was buddies. We're going to teach the Word of God in this house. And we're going to help our children. And we're going to teach these things to our children. And I'm going to teach them to the saints. People say, Brother Brian, I don't like it on nights when you talk like this. Cheer me up. If I knew there was a mine planted out there somewhere, would I love you if I didn't tell you where it was at? Don't step on the bomb, dude. That's your friend right there. And he said, teach these things to the saints. And let me tell you what else I'm going to do. We're going to teach it in society. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before lost men. It didn't say whine, it said shine. It didn't say cuss them and tell them how stupid they are and they're going to hell. Shine. That's right. I've had people tell me, I don't like nothing you've got to say, but you're all right, guy. <laughs> Keep listening. You'll like it one day. I hope for it's too late. Dear ones, we're the light of the world. We're not the foghorn of the world. Quit acting like foghorn, leghorn. Act like you got some sense. All righty. I'm going to just quote this and be done. The Bible said, seeing how all these things will happen, what manner of persons ought you to be? How are you going to live in these days? What are you going to do? Well, Second Peter settles. It said, Sancti I love this verse. Set apart the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. Put Jesus on the throne of your heart. Amen. And be ready. I like this. Be ready to give a defense to every person who asks you about the hope that is in you with meekness and humility. Right. You put Jesus on the throne of your heart and you be ready to tell people why you are like you are. Be ready to give an answer, give a defense. Mm -hmm. When people ask you, how come you're like this? Mm. Tell them. Come on. Let them know what the deal is. But tell it in such a way. You've got to remember something. Sinners flock to hear Jesus. Yeah. They still want to hear the truth if it's spoken in love. That's right. Because Jesus spoke the truth in love. And uh, you need to settle it. All right, can, can I help you? I visited with a guy the other day and as a matter of fact, he's driving. He just stopped. I was on my bike. Exit. He stopped. He said, I'm trying to do what you say. I'm trying to have a good attitude. And I said, well, if you're trying, you're doing better than a lot. I'm proud of you. You're doing great. <laughs> Quit being worried about what's going on on this planet. Everything's going just like he said it would. Yeah. Yeah. If this is worrying you, I got an announcement. It's going to get worse. <laughs> I've read the book. Yeah. Are we supposed to be grumbling because things are getting bad? Here's your verse, Luke 22. When you see these things begin to happen, and he just described what's going to happen. When you see these things begin to happen, moan and groan and get you some tuna fish and move to Montana and live in the ground. Wait for Jesus to get back. No, Luke 21, 28. When you see these things begin to happen, lift up your heads Amen. and rejoice because your redemption draweth nigh. 
I've settled it. I, listen, if I get, if they lock me up and I don't doubt it'll happen someday, it's coming. Canada's going to lead the way. If they lock me up, the sheriff's a friend of mine. He'll say, yo, listen to that boy. He'll let me preach in jail. I don't care. You got to make up your mind. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Put him first. Whatever happens, happens. I'd rather be a dead lion than a living rat. And celebrate, celebrate it. Now let me say, I wish I'd lived back in cowboy days. You listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. Esther 4.14. If you don't speak somebody else's will, do you not know you came into the kingdom? You were born for such a time as this. Amen. You're alive right when he wants you to be here. Amen. For his purposes in the earth, you may not speak to thousands. You may not shine in front of millions, but I'm going to tell you something. You got three youngins, that's your ministry. That's your deal right there. You are here for this time in history because he put you here. His in, how big your influence is, is his business. But you here for, you at the right time on this planet for such a time as this. I personally love being alive these days. You say, well, no wonder you love pissing people off. You like being alive now. I was born for such a time as this. I love these days right here. And then you got to remember something. Jesus is coming back to the earth. Don't ever forget in the midst of all this crap going on, Jesus is coming back to earth. The whore will be judged. The true church is going to the wedding ceremony of the marriage supper of the Lamb. It ain't who's winning now. I made up this saying. It ain't over till the fat lady sings. Dear ones, it's not who's ahead late in the fourth quarter. They ain't but one thing matters. What's the final score? And when the final score is all said and done and the king judges everything, we want to be found on his side. Everybody say this with me. I'm with the big guy. That's all you need to know right there. If you know that, I'm sticking with what got me here. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to love Jesus. It's going to be one wild ride. Listen, I was born for adventure. There ain't nothing more boring than the ministry that where there's no trouble. That's the boringest job on earth when you're just meeting with old ladies discussing who's going to bring the fruit salad to the missionary meeting. Bam, shoot me with my own pistol. I want to get a fight going just so we can have some fun in this earth. Son, we're going to do it. Well, you don't have to look far nowadays. Just preach the word. They'll come a running, buddy. Would somebody answer my email box tomorrow morning? You'll have all you can handle right there. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you. Nothing matters except you. Nothing matters except you. I want to praise you and thank you for these wild, wonderful days we're living in. The Word of God reads like the headline news this morning. You said all this was coming. Everything is going just like you said it was. The question is not, is your word true? The question is not, is prophecy going to unfold? The question is, whose side am I going to be standing on when it's all said and done? And I pray for every person in this room. I don't know their personal lives. I don't know where they're at or what they're doing. I just pray in Jesus' name. Your word said, examine yourself. See if you're really in the faith. But I pray for every person in this room. They may have no influence over people. They might be superstars. I don't know. But they'd make up their mind. Come hell or high water, I've decided to follow Jesus. I don't care what it costs me. If the road's easy, praise God. If the road's difficult, I will fear no evil, for thou, O shepherd, art with me. But whatever it is, and I want to humbly ask you for the grace, the grace to speak the truth in love. 
and say it the right way, that we will not get caught up in the hateful, argumentative debate that's going on in this nation trying to prove our point. But our goal will be to care about people, especially young people. Father, it seems like the enemy always goes after the youth first. And I pray in Jesus' name, give us grace in this place so we can help young people know the truth. I thank you that hearts resonate with it when they hear it. I want the grace of God to be able to love my enemies. Pray for those who stab me in the back. Do good to those who do bad to me because my heart is for their lives. I trust you for that. I praise you that truth sets people free. This house belongs to you. However you can help people with it, we're here for your pleasure. But I thank you and praise you. I'm looking forward to the day we see you face to face. Praise God when the tables are dumped upside down and he who was last all of a sudden becomes first and the first become last in a moment. What a day that'll be. Let Jesus be glorified in his precious, priceless name we pray. Amen.